Isn't God good? That's why we're here. We're here to be reminded and to remind each other and to remind ourselves our God reigns. Despite what it might look like or sound like uh, in our world today, in our nation today, in our culture today, our God reigns. And he's the one that we look to, to get us through this season, get us through this time. And so we open God's word in order to uh, hear him and to hear his heart and to share uh, his perspective, to gain his perspective, which we often lose on our own. Uh, and so God's word is so important to it. Yesterday there was a, a, a conclusion of a 24-hour event uh, about uh, unity with people from a variety of faiths and a variety of backgrounds and perspectives. Uh, I didn't uh, uh, follow along with uh, most of it, but uh, when Pastor Rick Warren was on, uh, I was encouraged to hear him say that uh, he had an encouragement for people throughout this season, which is that uh, in our world, the book of Psalms is a book that brings encouragement to people and is regarded as holy scripture from people in the Christian tradition, from those in the Jewish tradition, and from those in the Muslim tradition. And he encouraged us to kind of uh, go to bed and read uh, something in the Psalms, ask God to speak to us from the Psalms, uh, the last thing we do as we go to bed at night. And then in the morning, the first thing that we do uh, in the morning, there's sometimes a, a habit that we can develop, and I sometimes have that ha habit of uh, opening my, my cell phone to see, you know, what's happening in the world, any important news that I missed out on, and, you know, the numbers change every day for who has contracted who has been exposed to, who has been affected by, who was hospitalized because of, uh, who has died because of the coronavirus and the COVID-19 disease that it calls. But we want to start and begin our, our day with looking to the Lord, with reminding ourselves, with even just saying what we're just saying, hallelujah, our God reigns forever, all our days, hallelujah. It's the one word that uh, is not translated from uh, Hebrew in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, it means uh, praise the Lord. And it means the same thing in every language. It's a beautiful word. So we open God's word today, but we turn not to the Psalms, but to Luke 24. Where we've been reading the Emmaus encounter and kind of walking our way through that extraordinary Easter Sunday uh, almost 2,000 years ago. And getting closer and closer to that actual 2,000-year uh, time period, probably in about 10 years from now, when uh, after Jesus' uh, rushed trials, four of them, where he was pronounced uh, innocent of any crime, I find no fault in him, and yet uh, convicted to die uh, by execution on the cross, Roman instrument of humiliation and torture, and then dead and buried. And then on the third day, God raised him from the dead. The women went to see the body of Jesus as they expected, but to their shock and surprise, he is not here. He is risen, as he said, they heard. And then there's two disciples, two followers of Jesus. We don't know if it's uh, two men, two women, uh, a husband and wife, we, we don't know the details. We know the name of one of them, but they're walking along, and that's where we pick up the story. We've looked at that uh, a couple of weeks back, these two disciples, and then we're uh, looking uh, last week at 
Jesus appearing to most of the disciples. But as we go back to the original story in verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went in to eat with them. And while he's at the table with them, you know, three times already it said that he was with them. He loves to spend time with us, not just in kind of churchy environments, and I may be in a churchy environment, but you might not be at your home. You might be in your bedroom, your living room, your backyard, your front yard, uh, your kitchen. Uh, and yet, God doesn't just meet with us in religious environments or temples or mosques. He meets with us in person, and he does everyday life with us. And so they sat down and began to share a meal together. And it's amazing how many times through the course of God's word, God describes that meal process and the way our hearts kind of get knit together and connected as we share meal together. While he was at the table with them, we read, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And it says that then their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. Why is that? Maybe they had been present in the upper room at that last supper when Jesus did just that. Maybe they had been at the feeding of the 5,000 when Jesus did exactly the same thing. Maybe they'd shared other meals when undoubtedly Jesus did something similar. Jesus took the, the provision that God had prepared and gave thanks to God for giving it to him and to giving it, to being able to share it with others. And he broke it and shared it with other people. And their eyes are open. They recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared from their sight. And they looked in shock, stunned at each other, and said, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Well, Lord Jesus, my prayer this morning is that you will talk with us on our road and on our journey. And I mostly pray, God, that you will open the scriptures to us. And that as you did with these two, you will open our eyes for us to recognize you and sense your presence. And as we'll read in just a moment as well, that you will open our minds so that we understand the scriptures. May today we not just uh, hear something from God's word. May we hear your voice and may we sense your heart and discover your path for our journey. We ask this in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. All God's children said, amen. Well, what happened was uh, their path immediately changed because they'd been in the presence of Jesus. And they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. They had left Jerusalem because that's where their hopes had been shattered. That's where they had hoped that the Redeemer of Israel had come, but the religious leaders had crucified Jesus in conjunction with the Roman military powers. They went back to where they were going because the, their hope had been reignited. And we pray that today as we open God's word, come into his presence, that our hopes would be reignited and our hearts set aflame with the presence of Jesus. They went back and they encountered community again. They found the 11 and those with them assembled together. And, and they were saying, it's true, the Lord has risen. Almost a sense of shock and amazement. 
but great joy. The Lord has risen, as the women had said, and, and has appeared to Simon. And then these two told what had happened to them on the way, how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And while they're still talking about that, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace, peace be with you. May Jesus speak peace into your home right now, wherever you are. May Jesus just breathe his peace into your heart, into your relationships, into the place you find yourselves at home or find yourself possibly quarantined or isolated. May Jesus breathe his peace into your journey and heart and soul. And you'd think that these followers of Jesus would have maybe believed him a little bit more, but we read that when he shows up and speaks peace over them, they were startled, they're frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. And later on we know that uh, Thomas the doubter will need to touch the nail prints in his hand and the spirit wound in his side. He says, touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Use your senses, all of them. It's really me. When he had said this, verse 40, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, that's remarkable, isn't it? Maybe that gives you some encouragement, some hope today. That even though we believe in God and we've seen him work and we've sensed his presence uh, on our journeys, we still have times when we're, we still don't believe. In this case, their, their minds are just spinning, turning. And now they said, still, still don't believe it because of joy and amazement. So we took it a step further and included another sense, a sense of taste and smell. He said, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate it in their presence. I pray that maybe if you eat after this service, you would remember that of all the kind of non-churchy, non-religious maybe things that you think of God wanting to do, one of them is to eat in your presence, to to sit at table with you, with you and your spouse, with you and your family, with you and your friends or loved ones. Eat with you. Spend ordinary time with you. This is again Easter Sunday. In the morning he was in the tomb and then God raised him from the dead. The women went to check on him. He encountered the two on their road to Emmaus and then the two ran back to Jerusalem and here all the followers of Jesus are gathered. And now he says to them, he does what he did with the two, he does with a larger group. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds, our third opening here. He had opened their eyes to recognize him. He had opened the scriptures to him. Now he opens their minds so they can understand the scriptures. I need to pray this on a regular basis. 
Mark Twain used to say, it's not the parts of the Bible I, I don't understand that give me problems. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand. You know, we all understand that Jesus said the summary of the, the Hebrew scriptures is this, love God and love people. It's one thing to understand it. It's another thing to learn to live that out, that reality. Open their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, verse 46, this is what is written. The Messiah, God's anointed one, the one spoken of in the books of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. God's anointed one will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. I almost tried to take uh, this uh, last section from uh, verse 44 through verse 49, but I thought there's too much for us to look at there, so we're going to have to break this uh, down in a little bit of pieces. And in in a sense, we're just going to look at uh, 44 through 47. Because this tells us that the Easter story on Easter Sunday, uh, as it were, because that's when this all took place, uh, about the anointed king. The Easter story about the anointed king. But come back next week because we want to talk about the following verses, which is actually even just as, if not more, mind-boggling because we're going to read about the Easter story about the anointed king's followers. The anointed king's followers. That's you and I. You know, we have a part to play in this Easter story because this Easter story is not just a moment in time, not just a historical reminder. It's an ongoing event. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed and alive forevermore. So this is, first of all, the Easter story about the anointed king. And Jesus recaps the story, and he begins with, number one, the Easter story is that Jesus suffers. Jesus suffers. He suffers with us, and he suffers for us on our behalf, for our sins, in our place, to benefit us. But even today, when we suffer, we know that Jesus suffers with us. Verse 46 says, he told them, as he opened the, their minds so they could understand the scripture, he told them, this is what is written, the Messiah, God's anointed one, the one that's coming one day, prophesied of old, foretold by the uh, Hebrew prophets and the, the Hebrew scriptures. The God's anointed one, and they understood that that was happening, the, the senate of David that would come to rule and reign on the throne forever. The anointed one, God's anointed king, will suffer And that was mind-boggling to them. But that was revealed in the Old Testament. We look at Isaiah 52 through 53, and we read about the Messiah suffering. Back earlier on the road to Emmaus with the two followers, he had said the same thing to those two. Did not God's anointed one, the Messiah, have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Not uh, on your screen is Hebrews chapter 2. Part of the Easter story that's so evocative and so powerful is Hebrews 2, verse 17 and 18. 
where we read this, for this reason, Jesus, who is describing, Jesus had to be made like them, like you, and like me. He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. A couple chapters later in Hebrews 4, we read, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. In that particular verse, I like to kind of flick the negatives to make them a positive because it's almost hard to say. I'm so glad that we have a, a God who is not unable to empathize with us. We have a God who is able to empathize with us because he's been where we are. Author Raymond Brown says that when Christ assumed our humanity, he became like us. Imagine, he became like us. Exposed to all the hazardous perils of our life and death. He was not protected from trouble and adversity. When we find ourselves immersed in the harsh realities of human experience, he knows exactly how we feel. I love that. So right down, to kind of at the end, I've got a couple of bullets there. Right down, because he himself suffered, Hebrews tells us, he is able to help us. Because he himself suffered, he is able to help us. Hallelujah. Our God reigns. And the second bullet, because he's a merciful high priest, because he is a merciful high priest, not only is he able to help us, he wants to help us. He stands ready to help you right now. He's here to help me, to help us, here right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for suffering. Thank you that you understand what we go through. You understand our fears and anxieties, our dreads, our hopes and our longings. The Christmas Carol says it beautifully. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Jesus suffers with us and for us. Number two, Jesus has been raised from the dead. That's the second part of the Easter story about the anointed king. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Verse 46, the, the Messiah, God's anointed one, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Luke emphasizes this in those two followers on the road to Emmaus who said, you know, we had a hope that he was the one who was going to make things right to redeem God's people. But it's even been three days since these things occurred. There was a sense of hopelessness that entered into the equation for them. In that, it's one thing to have a problem on one day, but then the second day, and then the third day, and then whatever day that this is of our social isolation that's continuing, 
and our fears and anxieties about the coronavirus. Sometimes when days go by, you wonder, is he able to help me? Does he want to help me? Is he there? No, he rose from the dead on the third day. And so he appeared to them, just to recap what we read earlier, right? While the group of disciples were still talking about Jesus appearing to Peter and the 11 are there and others with them, and then the two from Emmaus had come, well, they're still talking about this Jesus himself. Not a vision, not a hallucination, not a ghost. Stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They're startled, frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. They said, why are you troubled, he said. Why do doubts arise in your mind? Look at my hands and feet. He gave them the proof. It's I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. While they still did not believe because of joy and amazement, he says elsewhere of his disciples, how slow to believe. How little is your faith. Do you have anything here to eat? He said, they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate it in their presence. Two bullets again. Write down, because Jesus rose from the dead, he can free us from the fear of death. Death is something that we fall into, in a sense. And following our death, we're normally kind of fall to the ground, and enclosed in the ground, and Jesus said, no. I rose from the dead. He can free us from fear of death. We don't have to be preoccupied with death anymore. Should some of us contract the COVID-19 disease from this virus, we don't have to fear death because we know that we're in God's presence, in God's hands, that God has got this under control, that he's with us, that he has the power to heal us, and if he doesn't heal us in that way, he has the power to take us home so that where he is, there we also will be. Because he rose from the dead, he can free us from fear of death. And then second bullet, because he's alive, he's accessible. He is available. He can be right here, right now. He can be with us. I love that description. He can be with us. We had a graveside service this week. We had one a couple weeks back, uh, two of our senior saints, pioneers of Bethany, Betty Parkinson and Claire Eberhardt. And we could say here this, this unique reality is that we're comforted in, in the loss of someone that we love, family member, church family, friend. In the loss of someone that we love, we know that they are absent from the body but present with the Lord. They are present with the Lord. And here's the remarkable thing about that. They're present with the Lord, and God's word says that because Jesus has been raised from the dead and is alive forevermore, he can be with us too. We go to be with the Lord. We're with him. We will see his face. We will be with him. But right here, right now, the psalmist says, the Lord is close to the broken in heart, and he binds up every wound. James Houston, as a, a mentor of mine, 
now in his 90s in Vancouver, British Columbia, walks with God, and I heard him talk about the homegoing of his beloved wife that he had been the primary caregiver to in the later part of her life uh, as she dealt with Alzheimer's. And he said, the membrane that separates us in life and death is so thin. It's so thin. He said, I, I feel closer to her almost now than I did before. Jesus is alive. When we leave this world, we go to be with him if we're a follower of Jesus. I hope that you are. But even right here, if we're a follower of Jesus, he says, I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. My name is Emmanuel, the God who is with you. My name is, in the Old Testament, Yahweh, Shema, the God who is here. He's available. He can be with us. But there's a third thing that we read in this Easter story about the anointed king. He suffers with us and for us. He's been raised from the dead. Number three, God tells us that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one to whom all history points. Look at some of the things he said in Luke 24. He says, everything, that it mu everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the books of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms, in the writings, in the Hebrew Scriptures. Verse 44. Go back to verses 25 and 26. Did not God's anointed one have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures. Concerning who? Concerning himself. Then he opened the Scriptures, we read, verses 45 and 46. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. God's anointed one, the Messiah, the anointed king, he will suffer, he will rise from the dead on the third day. And Easter is not the end of the story. That's why we're still here on Easter Sunday. And thinking about the implications of Easter in our everyday lives. He'll suffer, he'll rise from the dead on the third day, and, and what? Verse 47 goes on, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. And what happens after the resurrection? And repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We'll talk more about what this, that sentence means, that part next week, will be preached in his name. You and I have a story to share. And it's about Jesus. It's about who he is. The name of a person reveals their identity. As I've said before, I was named for some reason Dweller by the Dark Stream. That's what Doug means. I think originally in Gaelic. Dweller by the Dark Stream. Well, it turns out I'm a bit of a Dweller by the Dark Stream if you know my personality. I can brood sometimes, but I also like to kind of go deep. I like to think not on the surface of things, although I can be as superficial as the next person. Don't say amen now. But I heard a laughter. Who was that, Pastor Brandon? It's easier to tell who's mocking you now in church, you know. So, But I know some of you at home are chuckling as well. But I, I like to go deep, I like to understand things at a, a deep level. I don't have a, the greatest mind, so I have to go deep to understand it. Our name communicates something about a person, his name. 
tells us that God is, Jesus means God is here to save his people, set his people free. A couple of other scriptures that illustrate the extraordinary impact of Jesus, the one who, to whom history points and the one from whom all history flows. And yet, uh, we're teleological as Christians. We're, we're headed for a destination. And we believe that our destiny is also Jesus. Again, we will be with him. We will see his face. No more tears, sadness, mourning, sickness, dying, death. The lamb will be the light where we're going. And Jesus is everything. That's the message of Easter. It's not just that Jesus suffers. Not just that he's been raised from the dead. It's that he's the one to whom all history points. The Hebrew scriptures are about Jesus. The New Testament scriptures point us to Jesus. In Acts 17, Paul shows up in a town that didn't know a whole lot about Jesus, but knew a lot about different gods. The cosmopolitan community of Athens, the philosopher's corner, and tells them about a God that they may not know. But how vital is this God? Well, he quotes one of the, the prophets of that era. And he says, it's in him that we live. And we move. And we enjoy our existence. In him we live and we move and we enjoy our existence. I want to share a poem with you. It's a poem from T.S. Eliot, my favorite poet, who once said in his uh, extraordinary four quartets, I believe this is from uh, Bernt Norton, the four, one of the four poems. It said, at the still point of the turning world, neither flesh nor fleshless, neither from nor towards, at the still point, there the dance is. He says there's a still point of the turning world. When I was very young, I saw a poster that said he is the still point of the turning world. And I believe that that's exactly who Jesus is. It is in him that we live. It's in him that we move. We walk around, we drive around, we go from here to there. And it's in him that we have our being. We enjoy our existence. We experience everyday life. And he comes to meet with us and he comes to share meals with us, and live with us. I love what Hebrew 1 verse 3 tells us about Jesus. The Son radiates God's own glory, and he expresses the, the very character of God himself. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. God didn't just speak the worlds into existence, the, the universe, the multiverse he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command god is not watching us from a distance as that great theologian bet midler once proposed god's here god is here and he is able god's with us and without god everything that is would fall apart our bodies would fall apart. The world would fall apart as we know it, the universe. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in a place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. It's interesting how the descriptions of Jesus go back again. When he had cleansed us from our sin, Jesus suffers, right? But then he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. 
Jesus has been raised from the dead and he is alive forevermore. And he's the one to whom all history points. He's the one that from whom all history flows. And he is the one towards which all history is moving. We want to be found in him. If you are not in him, simply welcome him to your life. He's not going to break down uh, the doors of your life with the jaws of life to invade your home and your heart. He knocks. He waits. With the two on the road to Emmaus, he made as if he was going to keep on on the journey, but they said, no, no, stay with us. And then he came in. Our worship team's going to come up because we're going to share the Lord's table in just a moment. But I want to ask you, have you invited him to come in? Because he wants to live with you, walk with you, be part of your life, share moments with you. He is the one to whom all history points. Colossians 1 puts it this way, that the Son of God is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If your life is falling apart, welcome the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the one in whom we live and we move and we enjoy our existence, the still point of a, of a very rapidly turning, if not spinning, wildly out of control world. Invite him to come in. And God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds, your hearts and your minds, your, your emotions and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your blood that you poured out for us. Just two chapters back from what we're looking at right now is Luke chapter 22. The day of unleavened bread called the Passover, which was approaching. Jesus planned to celebrate this with his followers that a day came on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. He shared together, they reclined at the table, he and his followers, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover, this Passover with you before I suffer. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover, here it is again, with you. Jesus wants to live life with us before I suffer. He took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this to keep alive the memory of what I've done for you. And then he took the cup, did it in the same way, said that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The Holy Spirit, the, the life and the breath of God himself is available, accessible to you right now because of what I'm going to do on the cross and just literally for him at that moment, in just moments, within 24 hours, the Holy Spirit will be available. Oh, we have a lot to say about the Holy Spirit, but you got to come back next week to hear about it 
Because that's the second part of the Easter story, the ongoing part of the Easter story about you and I, the followers of the anointed king. This cup, the new covenant, my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's share together. Where you are at home, you have the Lord's uh, table prepared for you. Whatever the bread is, you have accessible. We don't always have control of what access we have to these items. And so take the bread that you have. Break it as Jesus said. Give thanks. And take it and say, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did this for me. You allowed your body to be broken because you knew that we as your children needed to be put back together from our brokenness. So I take this cup, this bread, and I welcome it. And as I do, I remember that you died for my sins, that your body was broken to give me wholeness and new life. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did. same way he took the cup he took that cup this is the new covenant in my blood because of what I'm about to do on the cross the Holy Spirit of the living God can be part of your life thank you Lord Jesus fill us in a new and a fresh way with your life and with your breath create within us the fruit of the Holy Spirit make us people even during this uncertain time make us people of greater love and joy peace, people of patience, of kindness, of goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Fill us with your spirit. And as we share together the Lord's table, uh, when we gather together, as you know, we take a second offering at this time in our service. We do that not because we did a a poor job on the, the first offering, that may be the case, it may not be the case, but this money goes into an entirely separate fund to care for people in our church family and our community. Now, men and women, because of all that's gone on in our culture, in our world, and our church family, our community, our fellowship fund is, I think, almost completely depleted. We want to be able to help people, and we're going to need to increasingly be able and be available to help people. So I want to encourage you right now, as the ushers come around, to uh, go to the offering plate, wherever that might be. Mine's on my phone at bethanyonline.net. I want to pray for this and we'll sing a closing song. Living God, thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we're grateful that you suffered. We are beyond thankful that God raised you from the dead. We believe that you are the center of a turning world, the still point. And we ask you to come and to serve as our focal point in our everyday lives, in our family lives, our marriage, our our neighborhood, our place of work. Be the center. Come be the center of all that we do. We love you. We say all these words in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's children said,